Clay, I've been giving this a little bit of thought, and I'm wondering what we should be calling our audience. What do we call our listening members? Oh, do they need do they need a title? Yeah, our pod squad. What do we call them? Oh, well, that was good. Like our our watch pod squad. Yeah. Watch pod squad. How many pods can a watch squad applaud? Oh, nice. I didn't know you were going to pull it out. You did. a rod baseball. Yeah. Good baseball reference is necessary because our audience clearly must also love baseball. Frying haddock and cod. You're turning into Dr. Seuss at this point. Sod. You see me nodding. Mm. I nod. Well, here is what I'm thinking. I thought that a pod of – I thought maybe squid are called like a pod of squid. They're not. I looked it up. What are they? Then I was like, maybe octopus? Because like if we had squid or octopus, you know, like they squid and octopi in Watchmen a little bit. Octopuses, octopodes, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And, but no, they're a squad of, a squad of squid. Oh, really? A squid squad. Murder of crows, pride of lions. But then I thought, well, pod squad. So watch pod squad. The what? Yeah. Yeah. That's what we're going to call you guys. (laughs) Yeah. How many of you are out there? This could be the smallest squad. There's dozens of us. <laughs> How's Patreon looking? Uh, we've gotten some new patrons, actually, so it's starting to grow a little. My God. I'm glad you mentioned Patreon because we're going to – I don't want to plug it right now. We just we just started the episode. Yeah. Hey, everybody. What's good? Let's, let's ease into it before we beg for the money. Yeah. So, folks – Welcome to Who Pods the Watchmen podcast. This is a companion podcast for the upcoming HBO Watchmen series, which is debuting over on HBO October 20th. I'm Grant, and along with me is my co-host, Clay, drinking some water. Drinking some water, like a professional. Mm-hmm. Keep, keep the throat wet so you can talk a lot about exactly. the issues. Yeah, you like it wet. Oh, stop. So we are planning to be... A podcast that's going to watch every single episode and give you commentary and breakdown on each episode. But building up to that, we are currently going through the original Master 12 issue uh, comic, original comic for The Watchmen. And Clay and I have been journeying through this and we are on chapter nine. Before that. Well, yeah, we're not going to jump into it right now. Yeah, I, I want to okay. give a little preview. I want to set the stage. Sure. So, to let our uh, Watch Pod squad know that. I mean, people are probably driving yeah. while they're listening to this, and I just want them to stay awake on the road. So I kind of wanted to get to the good stuff Oh, right off the bat. But, yeah, I mean, do, do your thing. Do you, I, I can keep drinking water over here. You're the pro. <laughs> water. That's what you're drinking. Yeah. yeah right. Uh, what are we drinking, actually? We are drinking a Jamaican rum. This one has – this one's kind of a roasted banana. I mean, I have another one, but you kind of wanted to go roasted banana. I did. Uh, you know, I don't really know how to pronounce this stuff, but it has what's called the Jamaican hogo. I don't know how to say that. It's kind of like hugue, you know, the the Danish whatever. You know, hugue. No. Hugue. <laughs> I don't know you, what you're When you, when you walk in, like hugue is that feeling. I don't know. I'm, I'm probably – it's H-Y-G-G-E, I think, is how it's re- – that's how it looks. But I think it's like hugue. Hugue. Yeah, actually, you did it really well. Yeah, it, it's that. It's actually a really nice thing. I mean, I'm I joking, speak but Swedish chef. Oh, sweet yeah. from the Muppets, <laughs> right? <laughs> so. It's it's that feeling of comfort. So you're sitting inside. It's maybe rainy or drizzling, or it's cold and snowy outside, and you're sitting in your cabin, and you have a mug of tea next to you, and you have a little biscuit, and your and your kids are playing on the floor, and you have a book in front of you, or you're doing a crossword. And it's that feeling of kind of familial comfort. And camaraderie, and knowing that there's peace within your within your home and within yourself, and it's just that it's a really nice thing. And I'm sorry, I don't mean to take the podcast there, but this is a different word. H O. 
This is a different word. H o g o. Yeah, this is a different word. So it reminds me of Hugi, but it's not that feeling. Hogo is actually the feeling of almost. What a segue. Well, it comes from hogu, which is like high flavor in French, which they took to the Caribbean, and this rum. Kind of almost smells like something's rotting, like rotting fruit. So totally different than the Nordic <laughs> Scandinavian hugi. This is this is hogo. So uh, don't ever if you're looking and you want hugi, maybe get like a candle. If you want hogo, get rum. <laughs> that's that's beautiful. Yeah, I, I feel also if you want hugi, don't read this issue of the comic book. This is a Silk Spectre one, and I feel like. Why do you say that, though? It, actually, I would disagree. Really? Well, okay. So I actually read 9 and 10. I got a little ahead of myself. I got excited. And I'm trying to th- – I, I got to look back. Yeah, okay. Actually, I thought this was a beautiful issue. Uh, maybe it eventually kind of gets around to that. Um, but I, we're going to get into that. Yeah, okay. We, okay. Have, we have something very important to take care of because you issued a challenge. I don't think you did it on mic, but – to me, I think I said, did it via text, maybe on yeah, Wednesday. You texted yeah. me and you're like, you know what we need to do? We need to have a top eight. Weather on the eights. Eight on the eights. We, top eight. We have done eight issues thus far. We're about to discuss issue nine. But you decided, you know what we need is a top eight moments from the series thus far. That's and, right. And, and you I thought told, that's an interesting little challenge. And you texted me back, uh, you know, you didn't. There was no enthusiasm. In fact, you actually just kind of said, why not nine? We're going to be on issue nine, idiot. You didn't say – you didn't text idiot That's because implied. your thumbs were tired. But yeah, it was yeah. implied in the tone of the text. <laughs> you tell. Because okay, I'm such a sensitive 36-year-old man. I, I read into text messages. <laughs> uh, and I said, no, I want to do the top eight because we're going to do it before we discuss nine to kind of mix it up. So mm-hmm. that's why we're doing the top eight at eight. You know, it could have been top ten, which would be interesting because I think Alan Moore did a comic book series called Top Ten. Wow, you know more than I. Yeah, but Whatever. we're going to do top eight because we are two better than him or two less. Too lazier. Two, we're just two men less than a top ten. Right. So, this is our pod squad. Yeah, pod, watch pod squad. You guys are listening. Yeah, uh, so okay. I thought it would be fun. And, I, and you know, I, don't, I didn't necessarily mean top eight panels, top eight moments, top eight things. I just kind of thought, what top eight things stand out to you? And so it's pretty, it's a pretty nebulous thing, but I thought it'd be cool. So how, how do you envision us doing this? Is it a little bit of a back and forth or is it a, you say you one, read a list? You, you say one, I say one. All right. All right. And we'll see if one overlaps. So I think you should start or I can start. Um, you go ahead and start. I'm pulling up my list. Okay. And you know, just to, for the pod squad reading at home, listening at home, um, hopefully you're not reading the, well, you know, I don't know if you're sitting in traffic, you probably could read in the car if you're not going anywhere, especially if you have one of those newfangled cars that kind of keeps you straight and keeps you moving in traffic. Wow. What are those robo cars? Our buddy, baby Bosch, who's now in Denver, as, as the listeners know, he has one of those. So <laughs> he could actually be listening along. The third unofficial member of yeah, this right. podcast. Well, along with the message. sugar cubes. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, I did these chronologically. So All right. Number first, one. Number one. Uh, this is going to be book one, page 13. I did not earmark these. Oh, Christ. Christ on a bike. You're just so much more prepared here, apparently. So this is going to be book one, 13. And this is just with Dan, and I'm kind of flipping to it now. But this is with Dan uh, sitting there next to his owl costume and just kind of looking forlorn, looking tired. It's right after he was visited by Rorschach, and he finds out that people are kind of putting a hit on the masked uh, – 
whatever they're called, masked people. That that resonates for you. Huh? That resonated a lot. I thought it was kind of the first thing where I thought, okay, this is a guy because I think he does have. This is a recurring thing that we keep coming back to with Dan. And so you see the owl costume and it's not folded away. It's not thrown into a corner. It's actually really – it's actually not hanging. It's kind of – it's on like a mannequin or something, right? Yeah. And it's really beautifully put up there and it's stowed away. um, But it's in a locker and he's just kind of sitting there. And it kind of reminds me of like like Rabbit Run by John Updike or something, you know, just kind of – or kind of like – what what was his name? Arthur Miller's um, The Salesman. What was it? Death of a Salesman? Death of a Salesman. Kind of like that. This guy's, you know, he's in the suit and tie and he's just kind of beaten down and frumpy and he needs he needs a spark and he finds Marilyn Monroe. I, I, <laughs> I feel like you're you're referencing uh, books that don't have pictures, so I don't know what you're yeah, really talking sorry. about. Yeah. Uh, my number one, I guess I'll go ahead and grab one from issue one as well and that is our first viewing of Dr. Manhattan. The, the panel – opens up from the nine-panel grid to show this monstrous man who takes up three vertical oh, – six vertical panels and he's just standing at a staggering like 60 feet tall. Oh, when he's at his U.S. government compound kind of working? Yep. Yeah. Page 20 of the first issue, he is massive and this is the first indication of there's not just people who wear superhero outfits – there are gods that walk among men in this world. Yeah. And this is a, a perfect example. It's a great use of, of the blowout of the, the frame of the panels. Totally. I actually had – I was thinking about using this one too. So that's funny you did this. And yeah. he's got a big sexy butt. You know I like big butts. Yeah, you do like male butts and I kind of actually like his back. Um, we don't have to gender the butts. I just like butts. Oh, you just like butts. <laughs> OK. So, well, sometimes you don't know. Male butts. Because if you start at the bottom and work your way up. I always start at the Some bottom. Some men with, without leg hair, you don't really know what you're looking at until you keep going up. And you can just stop right there and say, you know, that was good enough for me. That's my favorite part of the Drake song is started at the bottom and then I just stop the song right there because I'm like, that's good enough for me. Yeah. I just want that. You start and end at the bottom. I just want that delicious bottom. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> eyes up here. Okay. Eyes up here, Grant. All yeah, right. No, I, I wanted to actually do this one too or I was at least thinking about it. Um, Number two. My number two is actually going to be book three, page 16, and it's the top left panel, and it is Dr. – this is actually, again, Dr. Manhattan, and it's Dr. Manhattan screaming when he is in his – he's getting interviewed on the TV show, and everybody starts talking about, you know, you gave us cancer, blah, 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 and it's just so great because we've had a couple issues with Dr. Manhattan, and right here he's screaming, I said, leave me alone, and it's the first time where we actually see him um, exhibiting a ton of emotion or actually any emotion whatsoever. And I think that just was pretty interesting to see, okay, what is this guy capable of? Obviously, he can uh, – he does have superpowers as you just said. I mean the first blowout like page is him. He's huge. Um, and it was cool. You know, It was cool seeing that actually exhibiting some emotion. So that was my number two. My number two – actually, I'm going to go ahead and jump back. I'm going to say on issue one and the very first page. I love the entire sequence. I – I think how he opens up with Rorschach's journal, how it's a bird's eye, or it's a bird's eye view eventually, but it's a slow panning upward from the the close up shot of the bloody smiley face button in the gutter that pans up to someone walking across the blood to a person rinsing away the blood as as Rorschach's actually crossing over the blood of 
a former colleague of his. I mean, it takes Ugh. on it's ketchup, Grant. It's ketchup. <laughs> Is it ketchup? I don't want to have nightmares tonight. Um, and then you just kind of see the indifference of people, how small scale they are. I mean, this this becomes a little bit more reflective of of the view that Doctor Manhattan seems to take. Yeah. of people as it, it pulls away, and suddenly these. These nitty-gritty details that are, seem so significant to you up close become a little bit less significant as you pull away until it falls back into the the window of where the person fell and suddenly it's close again. And I just feel like how this whole page is illustrated, how Rorschach's journal, the words on the page, so eloquently mirror what's going on in the sequence it all just invites me into this comic book and in such a beautiful way. Yeah, and I think it's interesting that we see that over and over again where he zooms in on something at the beginning and then he pulls out. Yeah. You know, and that's going to happen I think actually almost in almost every single uh, issue at some point, right? Alan so. Moore is no- known for pulling out. Okay, Jesus Christ. I'm I'm a 36-year-old man as well. <laughs> uh, no, I thought that was good and I thought I thought you were going to say the cover when you said the very first page because I know you've mentioned a few times that you like the covers. I don't, but you know, we agree to disagree and move on in life. Uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, you're wrong, but fair enough. Yeah, no. Um number 3. Number 3, you know, I feel I don't feel bad because I mean, who cares about this in the long run? At the you know, at the end of the day, but it's again Dr. Manhattan, who is not really even a top five character for me. I really don't. But I think that when you think of <laughs> – There's six main characters. He's, he's not a top he's not, five. No, I mean if you, got, if you put it the sugar cube in, he's definitely not even top seven. <laughs> so he – but I think whenever you think of him or when you think of this book, you're going to think of this guy. Obviously, he stands out. He's big and blue, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and this is, of course, going to be the famous iconic one where he's sitting there on, on Mars – um, pay. This is book three, chapter obviously chapter twenty eight because it's the last or page twenty eight. It's the last uh, the last frame there. So yeah, that's it. Yeah, I don't really, I don't really even care about it. I have nothing to say about it. I just think that when people think of this book, they quite often think of this frame. I agree. It is yeah. such an iconic shot um, of a man and his isolation from humanity. A man, quote unquote, I suppose. And it is also on my list. Sweet. I when figured he, it would when be. he goes to Mars. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And I mean he's got his tiny he's got his tiny photograph. So what's your number 4 then? Number 4. Uh god, see, I didn't even want to I knew that this was going to happen when I was drafting it and I thought, ah, "I'm too lazy to change it." Oh, that we're going to have crossover? No, no, just that this is my last Dr. Manhattan. I I'm I hate myself that I I have 3 in a row. But it's it's book 4, page 26 when he's sitting there kind of floating and then all of a sudden he builds that castle. And because I, I remember thinking, you know, now that we've read book nine, it's not so important. But back then, I remember thinking, is this a nuclear device? Is this going to be like some weapon he's going to use? Um, what no, is this? And he I was just it, really into the band Crystal Castle. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. exactly. Yeah. So um, I don't even know what that is. So that's why I have no laughter. There's no laugh track there. There is. I, I input laughter. <laughs> I have the power. I haven't of actually editing. listened to the podcast. Yeah. Um, so that's it. I mean, it's kind of boring, but I do like I do like seeing him hover, and I do like seeing him build things, tinkering. And I remember liking that issue because it was the watchmaking thing, you know, which was cool. So that's my number four. What about you? While we're writing Doctor Manhattan's Blue Dick, uh, I'll go ahead and throw in one more for him. Yeah, and that is when we see him actually his backstory, and when we see him actually uh, explode. 
Okay, I had and, that one and I crossed it out because I knew you would have it because you, you actually mentioned it you know, on the podcast. I mean, it's such a powerful shot. You see the light piercing through his body as it's just being eviscerated, his mouth open, his skeletal form there, one eyeball still in socket, the other gone. It's, it's a haunting image and it's, it's really powerful of just seeing this person being shredded to pieces only to have himself rebuild himself i guess reconstituted in a different way yeah and what he is now is no longer what he was he's he's lost that sort of sense of humanity but he he's still operating based on that structure yeah yeah so i think it's it's fascinating he's a fascinating facsimile of himself yeah and it's also just looking at the art it's an interesting it's an interesting panel or frame just because it's really splashy and he doesn't have a ton of splashy stuff i think in the book Right. You know, but this almost looks like an ink block. Actually, it's kind of funny thinking about it like that, you know. Uh, um, this is page eight, by the way, of chapter four. Chapter four. Yeah. Yeah. So your number five. My number five, numero cinco, is going to be actually chapter five. And it's just the beginning. I really love the the color scheme alternating. And I know we see that over and over in certain parts. Right. Um, but I just thought it was particularly beautiful here and striking. And of course, it had to do with, I think, like the neon light or something like that. I don't know. But then it kind of takes it inside the house. And uh, it does it for a few pages. And then it's, of course, this book or this this chapter, I guess, is called Fearful Symmetry. So we're dealing with that. It's just kind of a master class by, by Alan Moore. Um, yeah. And then if we look at the end, it happens again. And then the last bit of dialogue is everything balances. So I just thought it was just a, it was just a fucking masterwork, you know. He's just running circles around us. I'm so glad you put this on there. This is one where I was kind of circling, like, oh, can I put like an entire issue in and say it's one of my favorite parts? And I guess I could have. No rules, you did. just out outback steakhouse, baby. <laughs> but um, you know what? I'm gonna go ahead and cross off one of my other ones and just agree with you again because I want to say yes. I love Ooh. the symmetrical nature of this entire issue, how it's constructed. From front to end and how it it joins in the middle to tell the, the tale of Rorschach, who's completely based off of uh, that degree of – that idea of symmetry and yet um, imbalance. I, and, I mean I think even looking at symmetry here, we even had the mirror shot, the cafe scene with Dan and Lori, which was so sweet. Right. You know, I think, right? I think that was in that one, uh, in this issue. Um yeah, that was great. So, hey, why don't you lead off then with your number, I guess, six maybe. All right. Um, man, I, I'm now I'm trying to remember where this incident happens. But there's this really small and I think very important human moment that happens in this comic that I needed. I find that when we're dealing with these kind of big superheroes and and these giant catastrophes that are looming over everyone, you forget about the – the victims, the the regular populace who are are truly at the mercy of of gods playing with the strings, right? And there's this very human moment where the news vendor, who's just this kind of annoying, insufferable, cantankerous douchebag, who's just proselytizing his own bullshit a lot of the time to no one. He, and it's just hilarious that you say that as a podcaster. <laughs> <laughs> Is this thing on? Is anyone listening to us? Uh, anyway, he um, he sees that Doctor Manhattan has has pieced out to Mars, and he goes and, and he's like fearing for humanity and nu- seeing the nuclear apocalypse on the horizon, and he offers his hat 
to the kid who always comes to freeload and read comics by his newsstand. And I thought that, that was like a really kind of touching moment where they had kind of established before there was a bit of a friction in their relationship. They didn't get along. And then he does something very kind. He, he tries to help this kid. I, and I thought there was something important to that. Yeah, that was actually towards the end of chapter uh, chapter three. Okay. And he even says, don't worry about paying for the comic book because that's where we were introduced to the uh, the pirate dude. Yeah, that's that's how I feel about all comics. I just steal them as well. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> just like to walk in with a big trench coat. No, that was a nice moment and it kind of also – I think it was heartwarming but it was also kind of ratcheted up the um, the anxiety about what's going to happen. So, so you're number six. My number six is actually – this is another kind of cheat. Uh, you know, I don't know if it's cheating necessarily because I just said it's out back steakhouse, no rules, just right. But I really love Rorschach with the therapist. This is the beginning of six and kind of working all the way through. You know, the therapist is kind of a throwaway character. He's obviously not a featured character, um, but I like him more than I like Dr. Manhattan. And, <laughs> and uh, I, I love that. You know, I like, I think as you, I've known, I've made this clear to you multiple times. I don't like the Marvel, the, what do you, what's it called? The MCU movies. I know that's awful to say on a comic book podcast, but I don't, I don't like it when there's no repercussions, when everybody is just alive at the end and you know, you, you're never really – you're watching something and you're never really afraid for anything because you know that they're going to make it. You know, They pay this actor too much money for him to die. We need to keep this going, blah, blah. We need to put this on uh, lunchboxes and T-shirts and then license it to Target for apparel. So I love this. I love it was just a dude who's in some court-mandated therapy session. It sucks. He doesn't like it. It's disgusting. There's really awful things like obviously having a pet, being an animal lover. I don't like seeing dogs like, you know, blasted open or whatever. And uh, and then I also just really liked the back and forth between them. And it was really cool seeing how Rorschach can kind of infect people with his hot takes, you know? So it's <laughs> kind of like, like he's infecting him with hot takes. You need, you need to be uh, – what was the dude in The Odyssey when he – Homer? Homer no. is the one who wrote it. Yeah, no, I'm talking about, you know, I'm talking about who are the sirens. Remember they had to like put wax in their ears? Yeah, yeah. And the main dude wanted to actually hear it. So they strapped him to the mast and he had all his sailors put wax in their ears so they wouldn't be able to hear him scream to say like, let me out, you know, like let's go. And I guess now that we found out they're sea cows or they're manatees and sailors just thought that they were – they hadn't had any in a while. So they thought that those were beautiful women. <laughs> You're yeah. mixing things. No, that's well, not what was going on in you, that book, though. No, no, I know, but they say like if because you know people think he wasn't like, like, oh, I want to fuck manatees, and everyone else no. is like, I don't. I have wax in my ears. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, <laughs> I but, read you know, a very they, different book. They say like a yeah, right. <laughs> they say uh, the centaurs was just like a man on horseback, and they right. saw like his shadow, and so they think, okay, that was a centaur. So you know, these sirens were really just manatees. But if you see a sea cow from afar and you have scurvy, you might get turned on. <laughs> Right? Isn't that isn't that? I think yeah. Isn't that about, scientific uh, consensus? Yeah, vi- the lack of vitamin C makes you horny for. <laughs> it leads to bestiality. <laughs> all these all these uh, teenagers in New Zealand, you know, <laughs> fucking sheep. Just they really just need some orange juice. Yeah, get, let them eat a piece of chalk or something. <laughs> Jesus. Uh, uh, so that, so sorry. That yeah. was my number six, and uh, I just really loved that scene because. It's just – it was just such a stale environment and you know that you see the lights on at the top and it's just so – you just don't want to be there, you know, and I think it conveyed that well. Right. Okay. Mine is going to be that when Rorschach uh, throws the uh, – or he says, I'm not stuck in here with you. You're stuck in here with me. Like with me. Don't, you guys don't seem to realize. Yeah. And I was like, oh, man, it is such a good line. In fact, it becomes even more iconic in the movie. 
when I think they paired that scene with him throwing the um, acid on the guys, the boiling uh, fat seen, on his face. I haven't face. seen the movie, but yeah. And he's like, you guys don't get it. You're stuck in here with me. You're stuck in here with me. It's fucking awesome. Yeah, that was a sweet scene. And that actually is going to lead to my number eight, but we're not there yet. But uh, yeah. yeah, super sweet. Go ahead. My number seven. Uh, I don't want to wait for my lives to be over. We're talking about one of the <laughs> sweetest panels. I think that if I would, if I would like buy a blown up, like, well, like, what that? What's that called? Like a frame? What is this? A uh, panel? Panel? Mm-hmm. It would be this one. I think it's sweet. This is like a superhero thing. It's it's going to be chapter seven, page twenty six, the bottom right, and it's it's with uh, the owl guy Dan kissing Lori. And he's in that sweet embrace with her in his badass spaceship. And it's just a classic comic book scene, especially if you think about the 80s. Like I could see right here like Cyclops kissing Jean Grey or for that matter, Logan kissing Jean Grey. You know, whenever you think about like or like think about like Chris Claremont, like X-Men, mm-hmm. you could apply this like that embrace to so many different characters. And it just it's kind of universal. Um, anyway, I fucking loved it. I loved that scene. It was awesome seeing Dan, you know, especially because my first top eight was him sitting there, not empowered, not self-actualized. And now he's kissing the girl of his dreams and he's in his badass outfit and he's in his badass spaceship and he just saved a bunch of people. So cool, cool frame. Yeah. Um, mine similarly is when uh, Dan gets his groove back, basically. He suddenly has that renewed vigor to put on the suit and go ahead and resume trying to be a superhero. He he says, let's go, and he's like um, pulling his, his sleeve of his glove on. And it's just like this kind of powerful moment that he's he's back, baby. Yeah, yeah. it feels good. Yeah. and I, We root for him. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, for sure. Uh, okay, number eight. This is my last one. This is going to be Rorschach sitting in prison. This is going to be chapter eight, page six. And he talks about, you know, big figure, small world. And he's just sitting there and he's playing them like puppets. And uh, it's – or like marionettes or actually whatever. I don't know the difference. You know, it's a sweet – it's a sweet scene. So that's it. And my eight. final eight. Oh, wait. Did I, was, did I finish? I don't know because you kind of changed yours up. You You pulled a couple Omahas. So <laughs> I, you're right. Yeah, I, that was my eight. I think I said seven, but well, that was eight. You go. I mean, what else? Do you uh, I also love when Hollis got beaten to death. It was great. Jesus. But that was one of your favorites. Or you're <laughs> no, joking? I'm oh, okay. kidding. Well, I mean, it was it was striking. <laughs> it was fucking awful. Yeah, it wasn't a good one to revisit. Yeah, yeah. that one felt bad. That's a family reunion. I'm going to skip. Yeah. Um, well, cool. I'm glad we did that. And it was actually a lot of fun for me to kind of go back and I didn't actually reread everything. I think we were talking about that before the podcast, but just even scanning it or skimming it, you kind of remember, oh, this is how far we've come. This is what, these are the themes he's visiting, etc. And it was pretty cool. I liked it. Yeah, I agree. And folks, we're going to dive into talking about chapter nine here in just a minute, but I did want to say thank you guys for checking out our podcast if you guys want to find out more about us, you can always visit us at whopodsthewatchmen.com. You can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and do we have a do we have our smitten kitten? Do you have link- kitchen account? Do, do you yeah. have LinkedIn? Well, I'm still banned. My, you know, I have to get on through Incognito or whatever. Yeah, <laughs> lifetime ban. I have to get on through Richie Incognito. Um, <laughs> I'm banned from Smitten Kitchen. I can't post comments. Well, that's that's we, what happens when you troll the message boards. <laughs> we all have our cross to bear. <laughs> uh, yeah, but you just hit us up on LinkedIn, Alta Vista, Lycos, Ask Jeeves. Uh, <laughs> our what live journal, our, our sweet um, 
Uh, yeah, blog Tumblr, we had too much porn on there, so that one's gone. Yeah, we had – but the porn we had was kind of like sexy, black and white BDSM. Yeah, and butts. A lot, lot of – A lot of butts. Dr. Manhattan A, a butt. lot of butts and cowboy boots. Yeah. Um, There's something kind of romantic kind of midnight it. cowboy. I thought it was art. I mean what's not? Right. You know? And actually speaking of that, you know, if you do want to learn more about us, uh, Grant, what's your favorite food? Let's give them what they want right now. My favorite food? Yeah. I mean, you know, you said if you want to learn more about us, we're going to make – we're going to – basically you're going to make the pod squad go that extra step and look us up online. Right. Or they could learn more about us right here, right now. So I just wanted to get your favorite food. Oh, man. I, I guess that's going to have to be tortellini with a grilled – or uh, one of those chicken patties that you kind of chop up into little bites and then mix that with some peas. Just mix them all together. Then get some of that Tostitos – uh, nacho cheese salsa, spread it all over the whole thing, mix it around, put some black pepper on top, and just feel your heart stop. No, 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 no. I, I think you misunderstood. I didn't mean what are, what are what's your children's favorite food. <laughs> I asked what you, you know, a grown man, what your favorite food I'm is. I'm no grown man. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I like eating handfuls of arugula. That's right. it. <laughs> you actually do like arugula, though. You I do. You introduced me to arugula. Oh, man, I fucking love arugula. Uh, what's your favorite food? Oh, that's hard, you know? You asked me, you put me on the spot. So I, I don't really think about a dish per se, but I do know my favorite top three like items. Okay. So it's for sure going to be um, tomatoes is my favorite item. I mean, I love a tomato. I think they're so versatile. They're savory. They're sweet. Do you eat it like an apple? Just like taking bites out of it? Absolutely. Absolutely. I love growing tomatoes. I love the acidic smell of the leaves. I like the variety you have. I like cutting them up, throwing a little salt on those motherfuckers. I like popping the cherries in, but sometimes you got to remember to chew or else you could uh, choke to death. You don't want to choke on a cherry tomato. <laughs> no, um, no, sir. So I love I love tomatoes. Absolutely. I love a tomato pie. I love a thick crust. Pe- I love a thick Chicago pizza that's more like a tomato pie. Uh, I love tomatoes, dried tomatoes, sun-dried. Jeez, man. I mean, yeah. Let's go with that. Yeah. Okay, fine. I won't even give you the top, the other two. <laughs> let's, let's keep some mystery. Blueberries and scallops. <laughs> Uh, folks, there's one other way you guys can help support us. If you go to patreon.com slash whopodsawatchmen, you guys can make a per-episode pledge. Give us a dollar or two per episode, and whenever we post one, that's when you'll get billed. Otherwise, you do not get billed. So it's dependent upon us putting out new content for your ear holes. And, yeah, that's patreon.com slash whopodsthewatchmen. We also have a little bit of a contest going. I would say so. And uh, Clay proposed that whoever is going to be whoever becomes our top donor at the time we release our 12th episode or blood donor i need some o negative at the time we release our 11th episode whoever is our top donor will be invited if they are so interested to join us to discuss a little bit of the final issue chapter 12 before uh as we conclude this journey before the the new upcoming HBO TV show starts. And as a lawyer, it behooves me to just to clarify that we will not be paying travel fare. We will not be paying hotel fare. We mean join – you will join us through Skype or something else. Right. Yeah. Yeah. We're not there yet. <laughs> that, I mean your donation might need to be a bit higher for yeah. that. <laughs> Actually, OK. That's true. We can talk about that. We'll keep it open depending on the donation. Yeah, right. Yeah. All right, let's go ahead and take a quick break, and then we will be back to talk about Chapter 9.
right, Clay, we are back, and we're going to talk about Chapter 9, The Darkness of Mere Being. Being, being. So being, this, being. Is, this is a Silk Spectre episode or issue. I want to call them episodes, too. I think you did this last week, and I'm like, yeah, I agree. Um, yeah, so this is a, a Silk Spectre one. Finally, we get one uh, that kind of goes into her backstory a little bit. I think that we we usually start with a, an overview of what's going on. Did you want to do this or shall I? You know, I don't know if an overview is – well, I think I think you should do it. OK. Here's what I'll say. We left off in Chapter 8 with Dr. Manhattan appearing suddenly in Dan's house to grab Lori and say, look, we got to go back to Mars and have some discussion because I saw it in the future. So this is happening and she's like, oh, shit. OK. And bloop, they disappear to Mars. So this is a journey both into um, that conversation. Yeah, into that conversation on Mars where Lori makes a plea to whatever sense of humanity is left in Dr. Manhattan for him to try and save the rest of humanity from impending nuclear apocalypse. And... Also, her kind of journeying into her past and confronting some of her her pain and recognizing a, a link from her past that she finds truly devastating. Yeah. And her pain ends up in a way – Being your pleasure. <laughs> being Dr. Manhattan's pleasure in, in kind of a twisted way. Um, yeah, so hot takes. What did you think of this issue? For me, I was actually, it was funny that you, you know, when you asked who wanted to do the summary here, I didn't really have a summary. And I usually do a good job of doing like a good one page summary. Right. But this one, all I wrote down was I felt like reading this was like reading a book rather than a comic book. I really felt like I was reading a short story. Um, and that was because I think there was so much dialogue in it, there wasn't any action. And, but also it just was kind of very narrative. And it kind of just led me down this path of both. You know, he did a good job bouncing between the the present on Mars and then going into her life at different points, and I really loved it. I really loved this this issue a lot. I mean, I don't. How did you feel? I thought it was pretty powerful. There's there's so much emotion that I was reading into the dialogue between them. Like I was I was being pulled in to these scenes and just finding that. I felt the pain that Lori was going through. I could, in at times, even relate to the robot man that is Doctor Manhattan when he would make his arguments of, from his perspective and his and express his dispassion toward the human experience overall. I mean, I still believe that he's going through some depression and nihilism <laughs> from from a breakup and just feeling isolated from everyone else and dude just needs a therapist <laughs> absolutely yeah. but but yeah i mean um this this whole issue it's it's just there's some really heartbreaking things about this and what was that word you were talking about the hugue 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 yeah that that comforting feeling yeah I felt I didn't get that sense from most of this issue because it just felt tragic. It, yeah. it just felt like here is a person, a, re, a person who's reluctant 
to be the one who's put upon to make the case for saving humanity, Lori, who who's already just always been a little bit jaded herself and kind of aloof to a lot of her life. It's like almost everything that she does is a rebellion against her mother. Absolutely. And so she she's does. Very, she's very one dimensional in this, in some ways. Yeah. Uh, and like, who is she to have to you know plead with Doctor Manhattan to save everyone? But at the same time, it turns out that like she goes through such an emotional experience in trying to do it that maybe she was a good choice to do it. Yeah. I, I mean, I think I think you're completely right. It's, she starts off as a pretty flimsy character who's always just a reflection on someone else. And you know, it's kind of funny that we say that because here I think that one of the most important things about her is that she's a reflection or at least she influences someone else, um, Dr. Manhattan at the end. But still, there's a lot of heart to her and there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of complexity to her character growing up and, and wanting to do her own thing but also being shaped by her mom and then now in her, in her own adult life. I mean, Jesus, she goes to Mars with this dude. And he forgets to give her oxygen for crying out loud. And she's trying to have a heart-to-heart with this guy and open up to him about her past. And he's somebody who forgets to give her oxygen. you know. And then while she's opening up about her past, he starts talking about geological formations as if, you know, I mean, can you imagine you're talking to your partner and they're like, look at the clouds on the sky. The harvest. Actually, by the way, did you see, you didn't see the moon tonight. You said that if anyone, well, Jesus, this isn't going to be posted for a few days. The moon's beautiful. I hope everybody looked at it. <laughs> but if you're, if you're open up to me about your life and I'm like, look at that harvest moon on the horizon. You're like, Jesus, man, come on. <laughs> pay, you know? pay attention yeah, to me. Yeah, listen to me. Yeah. This one of, I mean, you brought up the point that he brings her there to Mars and forgets to give her oxygen. This is a person who, who says he sees into the future. And one would think that seeing into the future dictates to a certain degree that you are going to follow a course of action because it's it's predetermined or that you, you kind of know where things go so you're going to know what to do. But there's a very – ri- You're a river guide. Yeah, but there's a very interesting bit of, of explanation that he gives to this. He's like, yes, I am aware of the future. But I have no control over my actions going into into the future. Everything is going to happen the way it happens. Yeah, I thought that was sweet. I don't really understand it, but I remember thinking there's something there. I'm well, not smart enough, but there's something there. Well, you know what it is. He uh, he he sees the fourth dimension. That's what he is. He is a person who who no longer exists in the third dimension. He exists in the fourth dimension, in which all of time is also a a single plane of dimension and he can go backwards and forwards through all of it although there's it seems like there's certain areas like um revolving around maybe nuclear annihilation that are fuzzy and he can't fully see the picture because maybe it's just too jumbled in whatever direction he moves forward or backwards along that that trajectory i guess yeah. but he He's existing outside of time to some extent, but his body is still also present in the third dimension and kind of going through the motions. And so there's there's no way – he's of two worlds in this series. Yeah, and he does have kind of those human – that human element, that human reaction where you know, he, he knows in that – where he's standing outside of time that she's already slept with Dan. Right. But then – or he knows that he will know it and you would think <laughs> that if you know that you will know – but he, then, he he's not ready to have his emotional reaction. Yeah, yet. yeah, yeah. Or maybe he can't. Maybe because the humans, the human, human, the human side can't uh, can't go there. Yeah, you know? and it's yeah. like I, I need to wait until that's revealed to me. Which seems like, in a way, he's dipping into his past self to 
to make a, a declaration like that? Like it, if he's he's existing outside of time, for her to, him to jump in and say, you have to tell me first before I can react to that is a weird fucking thing to say. Yeah. I'm – you uh, were reading the books, the the third, bo- the three body problem that uh, I had read, right? I was. I don't know how far you made it through them. I got bored halfway through the second one. Okay, that's the dark forest. Um, as it goes into the third one, there's there's a whole sequence where people uh, step into the fourth dimension, and how it's explained is like kind of trippy, but it's like really fascinating. And I'm reading this book currently called Recursive by Blake Crouch. And it also kind of deals with this idea of of time travel and all of time existing within the same memory stream that you can jump backwards and forward within, which all sounds a little bit weird for me to say. But they give this explanation that I thought was fascinating to what we're reading here and what I was thinking about with Dr. Manhattan. And that is if you think about how we have evolved as humans, there was a point in time where we were – fish-like beings, right? You believe in that? Well, that's one theory. (laughs) Before we crawl out of the water. And when we existed at that point, there was no need. We we didn't really – our minds didn't exist in like a a third dimension kind of realm. Like there was no need for um, a concept of a future and and us perceiving more than just like what's immediately in front of us and, and this impulse to just capture and eat for sustenance, right? And once there became this concept of uh, there is a, there are future events, then we could start planning for those. And that's when we entered the third dimension of, of thought pattern. And so that indicates that as we continue to evolve, we might eventually tap into the fourth dimension. Am I going to like – to uh, – I like it. Nerdy with this? I like it. But I, I think in a way this idea that like once we tap into the fourth dimension, time becomes a little bit more of an abstract concept. And it seems in a way that Dr. Manhattan's already there and how he's articulating that to us in the third dimension is like so weird that we can't – we're not talking the same language as this guy. Yeah. And he's not talking even in the same chronological order that like linear order that we, we need in order to yeah, it's full like, sense it's like they say – what is it like Kierkegaard or whoever was like – if a lion spoke English, you still couldn't understand him, right? Because we wouldn't talk about the same things. We uh, we don't have the same context or or lens through which we see the world. Yeah, totally. I mean, I, that's why I thought, okay, this is there's something here. I guess I could look into it and Wikipedia it, but you know, I don't I don't really understand it. But yeah, it, it was cool. It was cool for sure. Right. And it was cool for him, like you said, to dip back into his humanity because while we see him as aloof, I mean, he forgets about oxygen. He talks about geological formations, but I think that's more of a philosophical discussion on, you know, what's the worth of humanity whenever you can just look at this and it's, it's lasts a lot longer. It's kind of eternal in a way or not, not eternal, but he said he talks about these 10,000 year steps or 10 million year steps that the wind has swept across this plane and created and how that's more lasting than, than humanity and who cares about humanity? What have they done? What are they worth? And she's, you know, Lori's obviously talking about artists and blah, blah, blah. And he's like, yeah, but who cares? And I think he is though, even though he seems aloof, it's a discussion he's having and he is dipping back into that humanity. So while he seems removed from humanity, he's actually kind of looking back over his shoulder a little bit and saying, what is the worth? Because if he was totally removed, he wouldn't even have that discussion. He wouldn't care. I mean, yeah, he he clearly brought her there in the hopes that she could sell him on something that he's losing. He's losing his faith, right? And he needs someone to come and be like, why should I believe in the plight of them? Why do I give a fuck? Why am I still tethered to humanity? You're my last, 
you're my last tether to it. And in a way, you sell me on it. And he takes her to his giant crystal dick palace <laughs> full yeah. of phalluses and come in here. And I find it weird. Those are – I mean those are more like spears. I mean how is your penis shaped? Kind of like a spear. <laughs> it's very sharp. <laughs> uh, Conehead. OK. Go ahead. A couple of cogs and gears yeah, and whatnot. Yeah. Um, he – I, I mean, I guess everything's supposed to be kind of like watch-like. These are kind of components of a watch. Like there's different gears and then like these are supposed to be kind of like the uh, the hands of a clock maybe. These little spires, these spears. I don't know. Um, he says something though interesting to me where he's talking about you were the last thing that I really cared about on that planet. And when you left me, I don't know why I should care about anything anymore. And I was like, well, let's follow that logically. You did say you cared about her, but are you basically saying because you broke up with me, die? <laughs> like, yeah. you're 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 basically sentencing sentencing her to death. Yeah, because she broke up with you. I'm like, that's a dashboard confessional. Yeah, it's pretty fucking toxic. Pretty, dude. <laughs> pretty emo. You're you're not handling this breakup well, even though. You were also kind of phoning it in for it seems years. He was in your phoning in threesomes. Phoning in threesomes, which is a new level of phoning in. That's that's boning it's like, in. It's like yeah, boning in. Yeah, it's like breaking up through a post-it note. This is worse. Yeah, yeah. Um, then, then he kind of, in a way, leads her through a logical journey. And I was curious if you thought that he's intent. He's in in any way sort of intentionally guiding her. To have a thought pattern, do you think that because he sees the future, he knew Which the particular the particular future that he wants, and that he was like, "I want you to think about your earliest memory," and then he says other things to kind of trigger her to kind of piece everything together about about her father, so that he could have his own epiphany ultimately. I think so. I mean, it, there is an interesting. I mean, why did he ask? What is your earliest memory? There's a reason he's such a logical dude, you know. So yeah, but, I think so. But but he's playing off of something that's not necessarily like strictly logical. He's playing off of emotion and and how how intrinsic that is to the human experience beyond what is is simply logical. It's it's hurt and pain and and ties that that bind one to to love even against obstac- all obstacles that would impede such a thing like yeah yeah I don't, it's it's peculiar right and i do think that's kind of what's beautiful about this is that you know she's trying to if you had to defend humanity right which is hard which is hard at times to do a lot of times to do um, based on our destructive tendencies right she's saying well what about artists what about doctors what about ph- you know philosophers etc and for him who cares? And I think that's a good point is eh, who cares about that? What really matters is just these familial connections we have, these family bonds kind of taking care of each other, delving into our past and finding out why we are, what we are, and who we are. And uh, yeah, I think you're right. There was a reason for him to visit that. And he was trying to look – he was trying to maybe look for something in humanity that he loved. And obviously, you know, spoiler alert, but he found it at the end, which is why I thought it was so beautiful. And, right. and we didn't really – I didn't think that was coming. I mean, I know you read this a while ago. I don't think I, I, I kept thinking for the first few issues. Ah, I think I did read this in college, but I don't think I did anymore because this is so new. And I mean, it's been fifteen years, but I just don't remember. So I was thinking, oh shit, humanity's fucked here. Look at this. He really loves Mars. <laughs> this, 
this guy has bought real estate on Mars and he really likes it. He retired to Mars, you know? He's so about it. He's so this about it. This is a guy who got into bird watching or some weird shit. Yeah, this guy just, just so really enjoys, you know, he just wakes up and by the time, he, you know, he makes a couple eggs and lets the dog out and then he walks to get the mail and, geez, by that time it's already 2 o'clock and then it's time to watch his shows and his soaps. No, you know – he loves Mars. I thought, fuck, we're screwed. And then he and then he finds beauty in her, and you know all these parts coming together. And he kind of talks about it in like a, um, you know, all the different sperm are fighting for the egg and blah, blah blah. And then all this genetic material comes and forms you. But also, I think what he also meant was all these emotions and all these memories come together to form who you are right now. And that's also kind of beautiful and lovely once you explore that. And it's kind of interesting. I mean, even thinking about Rorschach, you know, we had him with the therapist talking about it. We have Dan. Who we, and I'm sorry to go on about this, but we had Dan who uh, was revisiting kind of why he wasn't feeling that great and why he wasn't – he just kind of felt like a shadow of his former self. Mm-hmm. Lori never knew what she was, even who her dad was or what she was supposed to do with her career. Um, and so this whole book now is about finding yourself and exploring why you are who you are and why you do what you do. And, and you know, it's kind of – I mean at least that's one of the main elements to it, which is pretty cool. It really rem- – there's this there's this TV show a while back. I don't know if you guys remember it, but there was this, this group of people that were on this plane. This plane crashes onto an island, right? And these people – No, no. That was – Gilligan's Island? That was a boat. It these, was a three-hour tour. It was a plane, I believe, oh. because these people are trying to find themselves, but they find that they are lost, mind you, lost. And the the whole – Emotional journey, taking taking a world that is kind of surreal, playing with these these spectacular larger than life moments, but at the same time having a very introspective show that's all about character study and character development is what is going on here in this comic. It's what happened in Lost, and it is why I think it is so perfect that Damon Lindelof Well also not only Lost, but give me my favorite show. The leftovers. Yeah. And that's why this is such a great next project for Damon Lindelof. This is this is his bread and butter. Yeah. This is not yeah. what it's, Zack you know, Snyder did. It's like <laughs> it's like the superpower thing is what is what draws you initially. But then after a while it's like, yeah, that, that doesn't matter. I can well, see I can see special power I can see superpowers all I want, but what really matters, and that's why I don't actually love the MCU, is because what really matters are these emotional memories back to your past and thinking, who am I? What am I? I, I love that stuff. So, when yeah. you're a 16-year-old kid and you read Watchmen for the first time, you're looking at the blue dude to do something cool yeah. and spectacular. You're looking for the gunfights. You're looking for Rorschach to break out of prison. Those kind of moments are what propel you. And when you become the sad sack of a 36-year-old man <laughs> – well, yeah, Eat, just eating your tortellini with uh, nacho cheese sauce and peas and chicken. Salting it with your tears. <laughs> um, then it, it is about these these moments of relatability of, of the human condition that I think are so compelling. And this is just done so well. Yeah, I, I think – I don't know if I talked about it on the podcast or just you off air. But do you remember Cavalier and Clay? I think actually I did talk about it on the podcast, you know? Yeah, I, I remember, Where but I never, it, I never finished it. At the it. beginning, the superpower part is the most interesting part. And then about halfway through the book, you realize, I don't, you know, because they keep going back and forth. And then halfway through the book, you don't really care about the superpowers. You just want to find out what's happening with these two dudes in New York City. Yeah. You know, just living a normal life and, uh, 
and like a Woody Allen movie or something. You don't care, you know, or like an episode of Seinfeld. Like nothing really happening, but it's kind of interesting to see. You know, you know what happened? I got that book, Cavalier and Clay, out of order. Yeah, yeah. I, I got the one that was out of order, yeah, and I, I kept like going, getting really confused about like what is going on in this story. These pages are out. It's a choose your own adventure. <laughs> have, I, have I told you about my choose your own adventure story? Do you mind if I take a quick tangent? That's that's going to be uncharacteristic for this podcast, yeah. but okay. I I was telling somebody at work this. I don't know who I told this. Okay, I go in there third grade. God, did I already say this on the podcast? Mm. Shit. Okay, I go in third grade. Do you remember the Scholastic Book Fair? Oh wait, maybe you did tell us this. Fuck. Okay, whatever. Anyway, just my sense of justice was offended. It was a choose your own adventure. It was a Mario choose your own adventure. And if I bring this up twice on the podcast, I think that speaks to a deeper meaning here. <laughs> Why does that still bother me? Because <laughs> because to... because as a white male, that's all I have, right? Like I don't <laughs> I don't have like systemic violence against me or injustice is, or racism. This is your true plight. <laughs> this is my true plight. Is that. I once bought a choose-your-own-adventure, and the guy working the Scholastic Book Fair did not believe me, and he did not understand that I knew what I was talking about. <laughs> it was just a linear book, wasn't it, or something weird like you that? You know, another time in 11th grade, I got my braces off the same week as this girl named Shara, who everybody had crushes on. Uh-huh. Or I guess, did everybody have a crush? I guess it's one crush. Well, maybe it's a collective crush. And everybody, somebody started a rumor that I got my braces off the same week because I thought we would kiss. <laughs> <laughs> you know, ign- 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 cool. ign- it's so great. <laughs> ignoring the fact that I didn't choose when these babies came off, you know, and so I'm all excited. I'm like, oh, I can have Dr. Pepper and Snickers now, uh, which are still two of my favorite things. So some things don't change, everybody. And yeah, I'm wearing I'm, I'm wearing my jean jacket because I thought I would try to be cool, like in sync. And I, you know, spend all this money on a jean jacket and I show up, no braces. I'm looking, I think I'm looking good. I have gel in the hair, you know, the curls are going. And uh, I think actually maybe I had some sun in, in my hair. I mowed the you yard that weekend. So I sprayed, I sprayed the tips and uh, it was sweet, except, you know, the lime juice streaked down. So I had a couple, you know, limey, uh, lime trails on the neck. But, uh. you know, guys, I mean, come on. <laughs> I was you trying. You can't bat a and, thousand. Uh, yeah, exactly. And then uh, everybody got on to me about uh, getting my braces out the same week to kiss Shara. And, you know, we never kissed. And it's unfortunate because I actually did write a note, an anonymous letter to the orthodontist stating that I thought my teeth were ready. Um, <laughs> For kisses. And, uh, yeah, so I knew where he lived and my braces were my, – my mouth was ready. <laughs> yeah, that's what I said. I said my mouth was ready for kisses. <laughs> you said that to your dentist. I, he was probably freaked out. To the orthodontist. Well, I wrote him one of those letters and I, t- I, I took letters out from magazines. <laughs> like a cute, a, yeah. It was a Son of Sam type of thing. and I, um, it, was, it was a whole shebang. But anyway, so that was the other injustice I felt. Uh, so what are we talking about? Are we yeah. talking about this book? No, but I do think – and that's what I loved about this book. And I thought – you know, it's funny going back to the book. And getting, <laughs> that's and getting, what I loved about this book. Go ahead. Make that segue back to this. <laughs> <laughs> do yeah, it. And that's what I loved about this book is that like, like me, Dan – uh, just I, looking for kisses. Unlike me, Dan was looking for kisses and then he got kisses. <laughs> Whereas Shara and I have never kissed. I don't even want to kiss her now. I mean just just to make that clear to all of the pod squad. But uh, yeah, no. So anyway, so I love this book because again, it reminds us this is about humanity. This is about not only superpowers. And because you know what's funny? Okay, while I was scanning looking for the top eight at eight, yeah. I kept thinking, I, I remind I was reminded that, hey, I haven't really seen that many superpowers, right? But now with this issue especially, I thought, I don't care. I'm cool with the way it is now. You know, And it kind of cements it for me that this is the stuff that matters and this is – I love this. You've hit the halfway point of Cavalier and Clay. Yeah, exactly. I can say that. <laughs> yeah, you can call out a little 
Um, there's the part where she's looking at this snow globe, and she sees her face, her reflection in it, her eyes and her teeth. Yeah. And when I look at that, especially after having finished this chapter and realizing that she has the the revelation that the comedian is actually her father, that her face looks in a way disfigured by the castle in the background with her eyes and mouth, that it kind of looks like his scarred face. Yeah, it totally right? does. Absolutely. And yet it's done in such a peculiarly abstract manner that – it also plays on this idea of a, a crystal castle that it feels like ultimately this whole this whole thing was John, a.k.a. Dr. Manhattan, doing a whole psychological experiment on her. He's a guy who needs a therapist, and yet he built a crystal castle for her to destroy as symbolism for her unlocking – the whole mystery of her of who her father was like that is the same event as her dropping the snow globe that had a castle in it and that shattering she's yeah. shattering and waking up this memory and realizing who she is in in not just a in a, a sense of self kind of way but also in a bloodline way like totally. that that's who she is that's her identity that's her her heritage, absolutely, and I, I love, I, I, yeah, well, well put, well said, and I especially love also that she mentions that you know, seeing the snowfall more slowly, she kind of thought there were two separate times, like that time, pa- time passed more slowly within the snow globe, and it's almost like that's a reminder or foreshadowing here that she needs to take a breath, take a beat, and kind of explore her past and figure out what's going on. You know, time's going to pass more slowly in this reflective part in this book, which there is no action. And it's just kind of a slower thing for us to look into this character and find out what's up. Yeah. Wow. Beautiful. Yeah. Beautiful. Um, Beautiful. What was the movie with uh, the dude that did Batman and then Leonardo DiCaprio and they go into, into your dreams? Uh, Inception. Christopher Nolan did. So he kind of did an Inception. He kind of set it up, this whole structure, to take her down this path to get her to remember something. Dr. Manhattan, yeah. He incepted. Is, I don't know if that's a verb. He incepted her. He specifically withheld oxygen from her to make her a little bit lightheaded mm-hmm. in order for her to kind of trip and start kind of having hallucinations of her past. Yeah. This uh, whole thing was a fucking mastermind plan by speaking him. Of re- no, totally. Speaking of revisiting things, we had a listener question ask about whether she was smoking crack in that weird pipe pipette thing mm-hmm. she had. And she we get clarification revisits here. this. It's and a c- cigarette. But she puts a ball inside of it. Does she? Yes. No, the ball is already a part of the pipe. Does, oh, isn't it? okay. That's how the pipe looks. It's a it's a pipe with a ball at the end, kind of like a crack pipe. But this is for her smoke, smoking cigarette. I thought she put a little ball thing in it. Okay, let me ask you this. Okay. Is there any significance to the smiley face, or was it just a cutesy thing uh, he did for the readers? Like, give, give them what they want. Uh oh, you know there was there were media just for the people listening. There there I guess it you know Alan Moore did the typical Moore thing where he starts off on the shattered castle and then he pulls back to the planet and you see that they're within this uh, I guess two meteors struck Mars and they kind of left a smiley face crater. What was up with that? You know, um, they make a point where they're flying the the crystal I guess at this point spaceship the castle but AKA spaceship. Around Mars on a little um, tour of checking out the different areas of Mars. 
And she says, land the ship, put it back on the surface. Like, that matters for her to kind of ghost back to mm-hmm. uh, Earth. But he goes, on the Argyre Planitia? And I, I'm wondering if this is an actual geological feature of Mars akin to the face on Mars that that happens to look a bit like a smiley face. But I don't know. I don't know either. It's, I mean, either, either way it works. It's kind of it's cool. It's kind of cool and cute. He does name drop a very specific place on Mars. Yeah. For this, so it, should we bring out? Should we get the telescope out and try to check it out tonight? Go yeah. to my house. Oh my god! Oh my god! I think we have yes. light pollution. Also, it's full moon, so we can't see. Damn, we'll have to wait two weeks. Yeah, this this um, we've destroyed this planet. <laughs> yeah, I, I do want to go back if you don't mind. Look on page six. Okay. The middle right frame. She is unpackaging tobacco or something, and then she's putting a ball in the bottom middle frame. So what is oh, that? It does is seem it to- like she's unrolling. Is it tobacco? Or maybe I it's like think- opium? You know what? It could be. Man, did I ever tell you? Have you ever done opium? I, listeners, I should tell you sometime about the people that had opium that uh, I met when I went to – where were we? We were in uh, Chef Shawin. Chef Shawin? The, 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 that's Morocco. where they grow all the weed and a lot of opium in right. Let's just say I got North some Africa. bad advice from, from these these opium fiends. <laughs> well, I just – I, 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 no, I, I wouldn't even say they were fiends. I thought they were pretty cool. It's, it's not like – listeners, it's uh, Pod Squad. It's not like they were putting belts around their arm doing heroin. This was sweet – prime opium in northern Morocco in the Atlas Mountains. It was actually pretty fucking sweet in an idyllic blue village, which anyone would be lucky to visit. Sure. And And the problem was you were sitting up on the terrace with them looking at the beautiful mountain vistas and they kept offering you beers and you kept drinking them and then we had to pay for them. We thought they were just gifts. I I did have to pay for the beer. I wonder if I would have had to pay if I smoked the opium with them. (laughs) That's probably where I missed out. That probably would have been offended. They were offended. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, you know, stay off, dare to keep kids off drugs. But <laughs> cool story. Um, the bottle of perfume. Let's talk about the cover because sure. I always like talking about the cover. Yeah. Cover girl. We have a bottle of perfume. It is a, it, it looks like it's in a crystal globe, which is reminiscent of her snow globe that had so many like vital memories tied to it for her. And it is spinning in the air in an arc where it's spilling out, and it has an N on it. And if you've been paying attention to Aura Z, uh, Clay, you stepped off mic to say Aura Z. Aura Z. No, it's an N because it stands for nostalgia. Yeah, right, right. No, no, because I, I remember it. All that's right. a cologne brand owned by Adrian Vate, Ozymandias, um, one of one of his many things he owns. But nostalgia is the name of it, and. It's very emblematic of her delving into her past, her finding nostalgia in these certain moments, but also the the shape of it looks like the crystal ball that is sort of the uh, what's a what's the word um, where an object becomes more than just an object. It, it becomes a, a, a powerful symbol for a plot device, whatever. Anyway. I don't know how to frame what it. What is that word? Yeah, I mean, slide into our DMs with that if you don't mind. <laughs> I'm going to say plot device. It's a, it's a the, the people who are big consumers of media, whether books, movies, or TV. We should know that. And how that that spins in the air, how that reflects all these other key moments of the dropping of the crystal ball, how that also ties in later to 
the um, – Oh, so was she holding this back in the apartment? And then as she's transported, it, it, it loosens from her grasp? Yeah, it was okay. in, it was in okay. her purse and it spills out as she falls down because she's gasping from air. Well, thank God. I mean, I'm not really a fan of perfume. I would rather people just smell like normal humans. Or whatever you smell like. Oh, you like – oh, thank Zing! you. My goodness. Yeah. Gotcha. Wow. Yeah, no, um, it, it is interesting. And it's kind of cool too how it's like a fix or it's presented in front of um, – Space, so it's kind of like this spinning satellite or something. You know, it's it's really cool, right? Yeah. Anyway, yeah. I, I would say it's not necessarily the most powerful cover we've seen thus far of them, but I, I still think there is a lot of thought and consideration behind all of the covers here. And whereas you might find them a little bit more simplistic, man, I find them. What be... would have been your cover? I, I know my cover here. If I w- was to redo this, what would it be? Mine would be actually the clown face in the uh, – it would kind of be slant tilted a little bit. It would be the clown face or the, the, the her reflection in the snow globe. I think uh, that was a super sweet image and it would have been cool. Yeah. That could be pretty good. I don't know. Maybe her face should have been reflected in this a little bit more. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, hey, what did you think about the did – did any of the art style or anything like that stand out? I think this was such an – like I said, a narrative-driven thing that maybe it doesn't. But at the same time, we cannot discount the fact we had beautiful views of Mars. My goodness. I mean, do you have new vacation plans? <laughs> it is – there are some blowout panels here that are just gorgeous. The – I mean, it's it's fictionalized um, recreation of what it would look like here oh, really? with this – this golden like sunrise and these these canyons hey, yeah, of you're rich at page, reds and page pinks. fourteen right absolutely stunning my god looks just I mean Grand Canyon style yeah with, with the floating castle there or just the um the river of of steps and how he kind of describes them I I think there's there's some it was very vivid and there is a certain degree of reverence I believe that Alan Moore has for the grandeur of of how time has over eons like shifted the landscape of things versus how fleetingly minuscule humanity's existence is in in relationship to how ancient our our universe is at this point absolutely and that billions you know, of years interesting question and query for you uh you know, I used to be very close with a geologist and this geologist, you know, we would go to museums and like, you know, they were like a rock hound, right? So we would go to these rock museums and stuff like that and I would be so bored. And obviously the create the forces that, that had to occur to to pressure and form these rocks and these different geological things, whatever, and you have these glacial erratics that are just beautiful pieces of stone out of the middle of nowhere, etc. It's lovely and it's gorgeous. And the fact that it's created took millions of years and then, you know, and then somebody just happened to find it, whatever. I I intellectually understand that that's really cool and really impressive, and we're dealing with a, a, a time frame that I can't even conceptualize because it's in millions of years. Which, geez, I mean, I'm going to be alive for maybe 55 the way I eat. You right. Know? No, but uh, – and I would be so bored and then I would find like an old newspaper because they would always have like a little section, you know, like of antique bullshit in the corner for maybe people like me who are just or who are just daft right. adults. <laughs> and they would have an old newspaper and it would be like, we land on the moon and it would be an old paper from the 60s. And I would love that. That would blow me away just to see a, a newspaper from the 1960s. I couldn't care less about this geological formation, but you give me like a Coca-Cola bottle cap from the 70s. 
And I'm going to be thinking, what did that look like? Who drank that? Why did they choose that logo? What did, you know, where was that from? Like, what, what was going on then? What was the, you know, that gets to me. And so I don't know, like, how are you like? Because I think there's, there is this weird thing where she's talking about these really intimate human moments and he's talking about these, these, this grandeur of it all. And, and, uh, I think there is that tension there and it's kind of cool. It's kind of cool to see that, you know? It reminds me of like, we, we can, we live here in Austin, Texas. And we can drive around, and there's certain buildings that were like, "Whoa, look at that building! That's 90 years old. Right? That's right. a fucking ancient building. The building that we're our recording studio right here, Permanent Record Studios, is in a building that was built in the 1920s. This yeah, is a, my, you've been to my house. So is my house. Yeah, yeah. Right. your your house is right down the street, and these are like really old buildings for here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but. Exactly. In relationship, like I just went to Paris a few weeks ago and things are like thousands of years old. A little older. Yeah, uh, Yeah. like hundreds of years old, like like 500 years old. And I'm like, what? That's a 500-year-old building? That's that's so much different. And and it's next to a 550-year-old building and it's next to a 400-year-old building. Yeah, and it's it's just – that's the norm. Right. Yeah, totally. And then if we look at that and then Paris – is nothing on where if you go to China, they have noodle shops have been, that have been open for 2,000 years, you know? And then that's nothing compared to, obviously, Mount Olympus on Mars, which is interesting. <laughs> I did not know this, and I love little factoids. I think I love factoids because I forget everything I ever read, so I constantly am just – I'm like a new – I'm like a deer – I'm like a newborn baby just looking around. Mount Olympus is as big as Missouri? Yeah, what is, is that? Is that real? Bonkers shit, right? You know, that makes me think like, okay, is – like K2. What, what, what's that one called? Um, like the big mountain in Tibet. Uh, Mount Come on. Himalaya? Yeah, yeah. The Himalaya. What, well, yeah, well, what's it called? Everest. Yeah. Is, that, is it? Is Ever- Mount yeah, Everest? Yeah, Mount Everest. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Mount Everest. Is that as big as like – I mean it's got to be like as big as Rhode Island. That's a tiny little guy. Right? Is it? I mean that's kind of weird to think about. Is a mountain bigger than – I guess that's an interesting question. It has nothing to do with this it's, comic book. It's but, so high up that like what's its base – yeah, that's right. Circumference, right? right? What, what is its base? Is that bigger than like New England? I mean, who knows? It's kind of weird to think about it's, that. Yeah, it's not something I had considered, but now I'm curious once they mention this about Montana. And have you ever been – not Missouri, right? Missouri. Have you ever been – if you're looking at uh, – and you know, I don't want to bore people. I know sometimes a lot of comic book readers – well, I don't, I don't even know if that's true. I know I'm a comic book reader and I love the outdoors. I think maybe the whole – um, cliched thing is that we stay inside and we just eat pizza and have pimples and read comics, but I think maybe that's changing. Would you say that? I mean, we're 36, so hopefully our acne's receded a little bit. Yeah, I, I think that changed in like the past like 15 years, maybe even 20, right? Really? Okay, I don't know. Yeah, I think you're probably right. Yeah, I would say like by the time the X Men movies started coming out, like it was, it was pop culture, it was, it was yeah. cool comics work. That's true. Okay, yeah. that's true. So looking at top of 19. They're flying over uh, – they see the tops of these mountains and they see clouds and the tops of the mountains are peeking out of these clouds. Have you ever been somewhere where you see cloud cover and then you see – I mean other other than being in a plane, have you ever Only been on in a, a plane that I can think of. So I used to uh, – when I was living in California, I would go – I would have to take the back road into Big Sur sometimes, which is one of my top two favorite places in the world. And um, the other one being the Stanley – Stanley – Sawtooth Mountains outside Boise, if anybody cares. And you have top places for – or top lists for everything. OK. Have you ever been somewhere that it's so beautiful you just kind of laugh or smile? 
Yeah, I guess. There's like two of those for me where like the joy of seeing that place was so beautiful that I had to kind of laugh because I, I just had to get it out. Not not like, oh, this is a cool view, but like, whoa, this just makes you joyful and happy, kind of like a little fat Buddha that rubbing rubbing his tummy. Okay. <laughs> that's, how, that, that, that's how Big Sur in the Sawtooth Mountains in Idaho make me feel. So California, I would take this back road because there were landsl- mudslides. And w- at one point I came down and I'm on top of the mountain and there there's a cloud layer. And then there's a little hole in the clouds, and I can see the ocean down there, and then I can see the tops of the mountains around me. And it was like being in – do you remember Skyward Sword and Zelda? Vaguely. Oh, that was a good one. I mean, you know, it wasn't a great one, but uh, it was a good one. So you kind of had some cloud issues like that. It was cool. Ah. Anyway, sorry. That's all. I, 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 I guess the whole point is I love this comic, and a lot of times we don't really see nature because <laughs> it's 1980s New York, which is – Pretty disgusting from what I can tell. And this was the first issue where we didn't see a bunch of graffiti and disgusting trash. And uh, I really loved it. I love seeing the nature. I love seeing all the pink. It was really beautiful. The colors were really good. I was just thinking about that aspect. And like with how the pink of the planet contrasts or plays nicely with the primary color scheme of blue Dr. Manhattan and yellow Silk Spectre and how they just pop off the page with that element – I'm like, was this considered up front? Because it really just – it looks fantastic. I, I love how visually this all plays out and, man, just uh, another point for that. And looking at the pink and yellow kind of th- – or not pink. I guess that's like – I don't know. You're you're the artist. Coral. Yeah. You're looking, at, you're looking at top right of 26. I mean yeah. really beautiful. Um, this was one where I think it's cool even just looking back at it now. I know you, you're somebody who likes prints. I mean, you have a bunch of cool prints in your house. I do too. Um, yours are more varied than mine. I just have prints from this one Quebec comic book artist that I love, love, love. If anybody ever wants to read. Uh, you just have like Purple Rain prints. Yeah, I just have a bunch of prints. Um, memorabilia. Yeah, yeah, I just have yeah. prints, memorabilia. God, man, I got to move to uh, – where was he? Minneapolis? Is that where he was? Yeah. They, well, you know I have the purple carpet and the purple sheets and drapes and stuff. It's so. a lot of purple. A lot of purple. Uh, no, so if anybody want, ever wants to read Michelle Rabagliati's Paul series, can't recommend it enough. No superheroes, just about a guy growing up in Quebec. Really lovely. Um, but this was the, one of the first ones where I thought, like, okay, if, if we had to make a top ten list of most beautiful panels, I bet four of them would be on this, <laughs> like through issues one through nine. Yeah. Gorgeous. I mean, props to Dave Gibbons for his incredible art. And, you know, once again, this is another opportunity for us to just give a shout out to the colorist, John Higgins, because it's so beautiful. Absolutely gorgeous. Yeah. And, you know, I think – well, actually, I was going to ask you. Do you know how it works? Like we have the guy inking. We have the – he's drawing. And then he inks, mm-hmm. and then somebody lays color on top of that. Is that how it works? Yep. And they're all working together. I mean, how much did how much did Moore have to say about what they were doing? Who has the overall creative control? Uh, man, I actually I don't know. Like every, it's different for everybody. Yeah, probably. it's it's a pr- different process for different people. But there may have been, and I'm sure there are some very intentional color cues that were given by Alan Moore for certain aspects that. He wants color to play a, a certain degree of story, and I, th- yeah. I think that's evident throughout this. Sure. Yeah, but ultimately, like certain executive decisions on like how to how to just color that floating crystal castle in page twenty two over the red clouds of Mars, and it's this golden beacon floating above it. I, God, I like golden beacon. How do you, how do you come up with 
the execution of that. And the shadows and the shading. Yeah, it's beautiful. It's just so well done. So obviously the art is the art's beautiful. Another thing that's beautiful for me, and I think just to not necessarily wrap this up, but to move to the end, which is really important for thinking about where this goes in the next God, I guess that's only 10, 11, 12, three issues. Uh-huh. Um, what did you think about the Din Yuemal? Like, what did you think about the ending? Well, that, that's, there's a couple things I wanted to kind of ask you about as well. So we have the revelation that the comedian was actually her father. And what did the and comedian do to her mother? He uh, attempted to rape her and broke her ribs because when they were younger in the Minutemen thing – he thought that she was somehow flirting with him, and he inappropriately took that as a means to come on to her very aggressively. And then when she pushed him away, he just got really rapey-grabby and then had to be separated from her by hooded justice. And when we say rapey-grabby, also we mean kicking in the ribs. Yeah. No like, means no. Physically abusive. There's There's nothing redeeming about this guy. And I feel – like, in a way, they're trying to make him a bit of a sympathetic character who just wants to connect with his daughter, which is a very – which is one of those things that I think all humans kind of yearn for in storytelling. Like, oh, you're just someone, like, who maybe made some mistakes when they were younger, but now you're just trying to connect with someone who who We don't want to believe love, in the right? guy who's in the cell, who's on solitary confinement – and who has no redeeming quality. Somewhere there has to be some type of humanity. Right. And we, and we love we eat that shit up. Right. But just a few issues ago, we also saw when he was in Vietnam and he he knocked up another lady and then like was going to leave her there after promising her he would take her with him. But he did, he doesn't pronounce it Vietnam. He pronounces it Vietnam. Vietnam. Yeah. So. And he shoots a pregnant lady in the stomach and kills her and leaves her to bleed out and dry dead. So maybe he's not a good guy with any redeeming qualities, despite them kind of showing this. So, yeah, her she's a product of kind of two awful people yeah. um, who have a very, very complex history with each other. And as a product of that, she was born and she was this breath of, of life and – this beauty of humanity for Dr. Manhattan and in that revelation of her recognizing the tragedy of her own past and what a rarity is that she exists despite all those circumstances. I guess that's where Dr. Manhattan draws a certain degree of of inspiration that there is beauty in this world and it's worth fighting for, to quote Morgan Freeman from Seven, right? Uh, is that is that the right, where that comes from? You lost me there, but that doesn't surprise me. I mean, I trust you with, with my life, no, so someone be else, careful. Someone else said that and at the end okay. he says, there's beauty in this world. And he goes, someone once said there's beauty in this world and it's worth fighting for. Wait, I agree with the second part of that. Morgan Freeman was in Seven? Yeah. Him and I, Brad Pitt? Well, like the Seven Deadly Sins one and then at the end there's the dude's head in the bag. Yeah, it's, it's isn't it? I don't remember Morgan Freeman being in that. He's, but I don't him remember and much Brad Pitt that. are the partners. I didn't really see what the big deal was with that movie. Like I think it was really cool like Billy Gilmore or Happy Gilmore was. No, no, no. Happy Gilmore is still cool. Billy Madison. If you try to rewatch Billy Madison, it's not good. It's garbaggio. But is Seven – like would you ever rewatch it? Like is it rewatchable? The answer is no. 
I tried rewatching it. It's just so bleak. It's, yeah. it's, it's, it's a what's difficult thing. What's the point? Rewatch. Like, what's so fun about it's it? It's well done. Is it? But it's just bleak. I can't rewatch a lot of movies. Hey, actually, listen, I do want to spend, I, I want to, I kind of want to wrap, give you my take on this, if yes. you don't mind, but I do need to visit, and maybe, maybe the pod squad would, wouldn't mind hearing it for two or three minutes. I got to talk to you about this movie I've been trying to get through for a fucking week on Amazon. <laughs> We're only an hour and a half in. Let's yeah. do it. <laughs> I mean, if people can always turn it off. <laughs> don't, don't turn this off. Yeah, uh, you, you take a break. Do you mind if I just bring it up? Fuck I, I, no, man. Tell the me. The problem is, is that it was made for babies. <laughs> um, and I keep trying to understand it. And there, there's a funny thing. <laughs> Wait. <laughs> Uh, ow. Why, a, why do you say these things? So there's a funny thing because <laughs> D- Diana, we went to Target a couple weekends ago. Diana, your girlfriend. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So so Diana and I went to Target a couple weekends ago looking for cheap PlayStation 4 <laughs> games because that's what we do on the weekends. Okay. And we found Little Big Planet 3 and she said, Holy shit, holy shit. <laughs> I love Little Big Planet. You don't know the fun I had playing Little Big Planet 2. This is number three. You know, we're like cheap, so I'm like Googling IGN ratings or whatever to see if we should get the third one, and it says it's good. I'm like, okay, let's pull the trig. So we pull the trig. We get Little Big Planet 3. We're trying to play this game for fucking two hours, and the tutorial isn't ending, and it's god-awful. And she's finally like, you know what? I'm going to take this back to Best Buy. I'm like, babe, it's already in the PlayStation 4. We're already playing it. We've obviously taken the plastic wrap off. I don't think we can take it back just because we don't like the game. And she goes, no. I'm just going to walk in there and say, this game's for babies. We're not babies. <laughs> so that was her idea to take it back. It might have worked. I don't know. We still have the game. But, okay, Mortal Engines. Do you know what I'm talking about? Am I, is that movie out yet? Look, look, I have not finished it. I'm halfway through. So don't spoil Wait, it. Wait, are you reading a book or is it the, the movie's oh, okay. out? Okay, this is a fucking tween fiction movie. Right, it's about the the cities that are like that robots are, that like kidnap cities, people. Or cities are cars. Yeah, okay. cities are mobile, which I don't understand. And there's so many things I don't understand, and I keep trying to understand it. Like the, like right before I came to this podcast. Well, no, I was reading this before I came to the podcast, but but a few hours before, I'm trying to get through a little bit of Mortal Engines, and I actually fucking fell asleep, which was a waste of my time. But the guy's looking for a pen to write something down. And he just looks inside this dude's jacket and finds a pin. What? Why do you find a pin in someone's <laughs> jacket just when you need a pin? And that's that's emblematic and a microcosm of this whole fucking movie. It's just a bunch of things that work for the quick plot device. And then, okay, this other thing happened. Can I just tell you this one other thing? You can tell me all of this. Jesus Christ. <laughs> I'm this, on the edge of my seat here. The, the, the protagonist is trying to tell the <laughs> other guy, and they're trying to gin up some, some chemistry between them. So the protagonist, she tells this guy, right? They're, he's wearing this they're, – they're both like British accent, bullshit, whatever. And she's like, so my mom was murdered. I don't know my dad. And I was raised by this robot. And this robot was like an android that was brought back from the dead thousands of years ago. But he kind of became my stepdad and my surrogate, and he took care of me. And he saw that he saw the pain in my heart after taking care of me for five years. And he said that he was going to take that pain away. And so what he did was he constructed an android, and then he was going to kill me and upload my memories and thoughts and brain waves into that robot, so that I would live as a robot without emotion. Okay. Okay. And then he says, "Well, then why are you alive?" Why didn't you do it if you wanted to do that? And she says, because six months ago, I found out that the guy that killed my mom was going to be in my neck of the woods and I wanted to kill him. Okay? 
meaning that she was going – so six months ago, she was going to kill herself and become an android so she wouldn't have any feelings anymore, OK? Right. But then the only reason she's alive is because she wants to kill the guy that killed her mom, OK? This right. guy listens to her and then he slides his hand over to put it on hers, <laughs> to put the move on her. <laughs> why would you ever – first of all, why would you want to get involved with a woman like that? B – why is that your time to make the move? But the problem is, is that these fucking tweens watching this are going to think that that's the right time to make a move. That is not the right time to make a move. You know, I want the tweens in the world to have like fucking classes in middle school or high school about credit cards and not getting into debt and hiking tips and doing a – what's it called? A tourniquet if you get hurt? Like yeah. A Boy Scout? That's what I want. I don't want movies like this um, – polluting ideas of romance. This is garbage. And you know what fucking started it? What? Uh, Twilight. This is a movie for babies. This is a movie for babies. And I keep trying to understand it. And then I, I finally look over at Diana and I was like, there's a reason we don't understand this. It's because we're not meant to. We're the wrong demographic. We're in our 30s. It's a movie for babies. But then our baby is watching it and he doesn't like it either. <laughs> So is the, did, did somebody spend like $300 million to create a movie that only 12-year-olds to 14-year-olds will like? Yes, Jesus. because Twilight sold so well. God damn, if there's anybody that likes Mortal Engines, please slide in and let us know why. <laughs> why are they all sliding in? <laughs> <laughs> Your DMs or whatever. Oh, man. Okay, so I'm, I'm sorry. Uh, no, 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 because I, I'm glad you brought that up because in a way it makes me wonder if ultimately this was – Similarly, Dr. Manhattan preying on the emotions of Lori and having her open up like this so that maybe he could slide into her, you know, BMs. Bowel movements? <laughs> God. <laughs> I guess it is Saturday night. Well, I mean, maybe he wants to, you know, try and rekindle something with her. And maybe is is he – if he's pulling the strings like this to get her to a conclusion that brings him back into her life in, in some way, is that not also a little bit – like he's being emotionally manipulative, right? I wouldn't say – you know, when you say emotionally, emotionally manipulative, that has a negative connotation to it obviously. I don't really think there's a negative connotation here. I think he, need to, he needed to explore something and he knew that he needed her as his only tether to his humanity. Yeah. And – he had to have that conversation with her. I think emotional manipulation would be like if he put her – if he kept her on Mars for years <laughs> to, to, to be his plaything, right? Well, he did bring her there, starved her of oxygen for a moment. Right, right, right. Didn't give her enough to, but that's to like, smoke a cigarette when she was stressed well, out. We, but again, we don't know if that was a cigarette. She put a weird ball into the contraption, <laughs> into her pipette. <laughs> she didn't get to you know, smoke some opium. Um, yeah, no, you're right. I mean, obviously, he, but but you're right that he was pulling the strings. And but I think, as you know, even when he is pulling the strings because he's seen the future, his his emotions aren't reacting to it until the actual present time. So he's still tethered to this. So it's kind of this weird thing where we can say he's being a ma- manipulative, etc. But he doesn't maybe even know, and he's kind of just going along with it, like that human side of him, because he does have that really strong emotion, which I loved, and he's saying that hey. You are kind of not maybe not maybe not the one for me, but it's insane that out of thousands of like the sperm or whatever, right, that hit the egg, that's the one that genetic material came through. Out of all the parents that could have had you, you're the one, and you're the one here who keeps me connected to humanity, and that's a beautiful thing. That's pretty sweet. I mean, that's really lovely. You know? Yeah. You don't like it? I don't know. I I 
Have you ever been sitting in a coffee shop or a bar and then the, the sunset comes down and it slants across the walls and it just – you see it's so beautiful and it just kind of hits your eyes and you look outside and everything's so like lovely. You know that like golden like, sunset? Yeah. God damn. You just, and you're just so thankful for that moment that everything came together right then and that you were around to see it. I, I love those moments and he kind of had one of those. No? I, no? I agree with you in, in part. I just I, – I still find that I'm seeing – that he's controlling her and kind of getting the conclusion that he already a expected and 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 b was in a way like making happen manifesting in a way i don't know it's like but again he can envision that that's going to happen or know that's going to happen maybe he can't know how it's going to feel you know you you can Ah, like listen to this see that's interesting You, you know you've got two girls One's already in school. Another one's coming up in a couple of years. When you take her to – you know what it will be like, kind of. You can envision dropping her off at Yeah, we don't even have to discuss this uh, right now. No, I know, but I'm saying – Why are you going to make me cry on That's what podcast? I'm saying. You can know how it feels to drop her off for her first day of school, but you don't know how it feels. You can see it, but it's not going to hit you yet, right? Girl, I don't I know. Need this. I'm sorry, but hey, listen. Come. Dry your eyes for you are life. Rarer than a quark and unpredictable beyond the dreams of Heisenberg. The clay in which the forces that shape all things leave their fingerprints most clearly. Dry your eyes and let's go home. Wow. We haven't had an ending like that in any issue thus far. And the last issue ended with the death of Hollis. So I think we all deserve this and we all needed this as an audience. And this was sweet. I thought this hit all the high notes. I mean, really, I feel like every single issue I like this uh, book more and more. And I keep saying, this is the best issue. This is the best issue. But this was a really good issue. You saw The Wire. Uh, no, I did not see that. Was I was in the Peace Corps, man? So, The Wire is regarded as one of the best television shows of all time. Similarly, Watchmen is regarded as one of the best comic books of all time. And it's easy for something to get hyped up and then not really feel like it lives up to the hype. Man, I feel like if you are of the the right mindset. Uh, if if you are at the appropriate stage in your life where you're ready to dive in and and accept this for what it is, this is such an enriching book, and I fully agree that this is one of the greatest comic books that's ever been made. Yeah, and I would say go into it with with some patience. I think that you might not love it. I mean, I think I came into it when you asked me to do this. I was stoked to kind of chat with you, but this isn't the art style I like. This isn't the time period of comics that I like. This is not even the genre that I like. A lot of comic books I like now don't have any superpowers, Mm -hmm. right? But with all those things, kind of fighting against the current, swimming against the current, I love this. I'm really glad I did this, and I'm not even there yet. I've read 10. I'm I'm one ahead, and I have a couple more. And it's kind of like um, I'm I'm interested, obviously, to see how it wraps up and what happens. But more, more than that, I'm just happy to be here. And to experience it because it's such a good read and it's so cool to see what he's doing. And I don't even understand probably half of what he's doing, but I get some of the some of the um, how the art is working with the, the story and everything. It's just really cool to see. And so yeah, I, I agree with you completely. Well, we're nearing the edge, the end rather. And uh, the the final quote here in this chapter nine is from uh, Carl Jung. Jung from Jung is it from Memories, Dreams, Reflections. It goes, 
As far as we can discern, the sole purpose of human existence is to kindle a light of meaning in the darkness of mere being. So Jung, obviously, a not steward, but a student of Freud. Right. He brought in the archetypes, and he thought about dreams a lot. Did, did a ton of stuff that people actually took now, I think, for schizophrenia and bipolarism. Really interesting guy, kind of looked at archetypes of What's your idea of the permanent – of your perfect person, your perfect partner, your perfect everything? Work with that. And then one of his disciples, who is actually one of my favorites, Karen Horney, the therapist, she dealt with the tyranny of the shoulds and was the first person actually to bring people off the couch and say, look, we're going to talk about your emotions. Look at me in the eye. Let's have a real face-to-face. So Jung was a cool dude for, for this and if anybody is bored or curious, I think you should look at some of Jung's writings. He's, he's really awesome. So sorry to do that, but I think he was – he always stood out to me. I like this guy. No, no apologies necessary there. But a beautiful thing. I mean talking about to kindle a light of meaning in the darkness of mere being. And when you do stare infinity in the eye and when you do look at the stars and you do – and you are Dr. Manhattan looking at Mars that's existed for millions of years without a footprint on it whatsoever and it will keep going once we all die and everybody we know will one day be dead. That's a tough thing to look at. But the purpose of life is to kindle a light and this warmth for even within that. And I think that's really lovely and that's what we have here. Dr. Manhattan went to Mars and now he is connected back to humanity and we'll see what happens. He's probably going to go kick some Soviet ass. <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting to – yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens, folks. Uh, man, uh, I'm, I'm glad uh, I'm doing this with you, this podcast. I, well, I think you're that a, uh, you're a couple rums in, but yeah, I am. Too. I think you bring a, a, a degree of, of intellectualism to a conversation that I provide with, uh, I don't know, dick jokes. I, that's basically, uh, well, I, well, I steer you, the ship and make dick jokes, and you, uh, within the last you 10 bring minutes, insight. <laughs> within the last 10 minutes, I did say bowel movement, to be fair. Yeah. So there's yeah. not a low bar, but yeah, there is a low bar. <laughs> uh, folks, we want to thank you guys for ch- tuning in and checking out our podcast this week. And we are going to continue our journey through this this Watchmen tome. We have issues 10, 11, and 12 to get through. Yeah, and do you know actually when – do we have a launch date for the show? Yeah. Can you – could you divulge? October 20th is the debut of the show on HBO. So we're recording on uh, September 14th. Um, so we've got about a month. September 14th? Is that right? Is that oh, that's what today is? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we need to get through these these last few episodes. We do want to make the announcement that we are now going to try and move to releasing new episodes every Sunday. So please stay tuned Sundays to our podcast. We're going to try and make this a regular thing. I, I know that we've been pretty loosey-goosey, and that's that's on my part of how, how often I wanted to kind of release things here or there. It's really hot in Austin, and it's hard <laughs> to even leave the couch. But yeah. yeah, we've been trying. But uh, we are, we're nearing the home stretch. We are getting really excited. And you know what? We're actually going to do another little bonus episode um, upcoming where I actually managed to get Clay to watch the trailers for the upcoming show. I broke a big rule for you. You did, yeah. and I, I'm very appreciative. So we're going to discuss the new trailers that have come out for the upcoming HBO show, and we're going to discuss uh, what we think about that the upcoming series for you guys. So I do hope you guys have subscribed. You are telling your friends. You are 
uh, following us on all the social media. And if you do want to support us, if you are enjoying this and want to keep it running, we do appreciate all of your support. Patreon.com slash WhoPodsTheWatchmen. Can people donate like 50 cents a show? How I think, does it work? I think a dollar is the minimum. Okay. But if you think about it, if we release a new episode each week, that's $4 a don't, month. Don't do the cup of coffee thing. God damn. It's four dollars a don't month. Don't do the coffee thing. You know, people do. How that, much like, is in- one comic a week? <laughs> oh, that's true. Yeah, one comic a week is now like five bucks, six bucks. And you're in the weekly poll. You're whatever. not even buying a full comic in one month, and you're getting four hours at least. Uh, look, <laughs> dude, we we're going an hour and a half. We're going an hour and forty on this episode. I don't so. even think there's anything wrong with that. But whenever you say it, it makes me feel like I need to shut up for the next one. So you're you're stifling me, man. No, I'm not trying to stifle you. I'm just saying. People are getting bang for yeah. their buck, yeah. and I hope that you guys, um, you know, uh, enjoy what we're doing here. But if you can't, if you can't afford it, keep listening, and we would obviously love to hear. Uh, I would love to feel you slide into Grant's DMs. Stop, because <laughs> I think the questions are interesting, and uh, we definitely want to visit some questions next next week. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna answer some questions uh, on this uh, preview episode for oh, the cool. upcoming show. Okay, cool. Well, hey, uh, great talking to you. Yep, and uh, folks, we will be back next week talking about issue 10, chapter 10. We may actually be back um, sooner to talk about the preview that you just mentioned. Right, we'll be back for uh, chapter 10, but we're also going to talk about a preview. Cool. So uh, keep keep tuning in, pod watching squad. Pod squad.